Welcome to the Kingsway Christian Fellowship Home Service. We hope that you'll be blessed as you listen to this audio sermon streamed live from Melbourne, Australia. Kingsway Christian Fellowship is a family Bible-based non-denominational church preaching Jesus Christ, based in Wonturner. Visit www.kingswaychristianfellowship.com. Now here's Brother Morris Nicholson. This morning, in the precious name of Jesus, we're going to look at some <clears throat> aspects of the world we are living in today and how the Word of God illuminates our understanding and causes us to trust Him. What I've thought to share with you this morning is the thought of lest we forget and there are monuments for memory. Uh, these occur in our world quite frequently. You'll find them in parks around Australia. Uh, there are uh, statues of soldiers and there are names that have given themselves in war, that kind of thing. They are monuments raised up and they create memory of things from the past. Now, we have celebrated the Lord's table this morning. It's one of the monuments for memory that God has left with us. It's the broken bread and the cup, reminding us of his broken body and shed blood. I want to share with you in the light of what is happening in our world today and which we are involved in very intimately all over the world what God has in these areas for us. Um, in the Bible, we have 2 Peter 1, 12 to 21. If you've got your Bible with you, we will read it through. <clears throat> 2 Peter 1, 12 to 21. I haven't got it on the screen. You can listen, but um, I want you to note as we go through the uh, mentions made of the issue of memory or reminding. To Peter 1 verse 12, Peter writes, so I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honour and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Peter says, We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. 
And we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray as we commit ourselves to God's word and his spirit leading us. Father, we commit our time into your presence now. We ask, Lord, you'll minister into each of our lives your truth, particularly, Lord, in the day in which we find ourselves. Your word is a comfort. The only real comfort we have in this world is it points us to you, points us to the Lord Jesus, your son, and points us, O oh Lord, through our trust in you, that you are God alone and you are to receive the glory as God alone. We commit our time to you now. We ask for your blessing in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right. I want you to notice verse 12 in your Bible. Peter writes, I'll always remind you of these things. Notice, lest we forget. Peter is writing on the subject of not forgetting. So the issue Peter writes here, he said, I will always remind you of these things, things that have gone before, which he's just written about. He said, I'll remind you of these things always. And he reminds them, even though they are firmly established in the present truth. So it's not just that we are established in the truth itself. We need constant reminder. That's the Lord's table is given to us. As often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. It's a reminder constantly of him. You go down to verse 30. He says, I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body. So to refresh our memory, Peter says, as long as I'm in this body, it's right for me to refresh your memory. And go down to verse 15. I'll make every effort to see that after my departure, you'll always be able to remember these things. And we have the word of God given to us here, written by Peter. God has preserved it for us. And his object is to be always able to remember these things. Uh, I want you to notice I put a reference in. When Peter wrote in verse 13, he said, to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body. Because in verse 14, he says, I'll know I'll soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus has made clear to me. So Peter had a word from God and the Lord Jesus uh, telling him he would lay aside his body in a manner which was fitted exactly to how he died. And he said it was going to be soon. I'm interested because this is to Peter. This is his second letter. It's written towards the end of Peter's life. We notice that when we come to Paul in, in 2 Timothy, uh, he said, the day of my departure is at hand. Uh, and he, he writes uh, with a charge to Timothy. So we, we find these two overlapping in their last letters, the last letter of, of, of Paul to, to Timothy, written 1 Timothy. 
to Timothy, his letter and his closing stages of it, he said, I must lay, uh, at the time of my departure is at hand. It's interesting when you come to the scriptures, you have two Peter, you have two Timothy, and you have the book of Jude. Both of the, all of these interact with the days in which are called the last days, particularly. Now notice 2 Peter 1, 10 and 11. We go back before that section, and Peter writes, Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. That is, there's an eagerness to do something so that you become confident, assured of your calling and your election. For if you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. So there is a progress of our life through here on earth. We are pilgrims passing through, as Peter says. But there is a process going on in that life where we are to grow. And he deals with the manner of growth in the beginning of this epistle that is to take place. Uh, so there is this understanding that we are not to remain stagnant, we are to move on in our um, relationship and fellowship with God, in our understanding of our salvation, in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus. There's a whole section in 2 Peter 3, verse 1 to 18, which deals with the question again of reminding. If you look at 2 Peter 3, 1 to 18 in your Bible, you'll know verse 1 of 2 Peter 3. He said, Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate your wholesome thinking. The constant reference is to remind. We might be establishing the truth, but the constant need is to remind. And when we are reminded, it produces the right kind of thinking. We are right, thinking upon the right kind of things. Think on these things, like Paul says, and the God of peace will be with you. You go to verse 2 of 2 Peter 3. It says, I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets. So he goes back over the history of the Old Testament. I want you to recall those words spoken by them. And it says, the command given by our Lord and Saviour through your apostles. So it's not only the prophets of the Old Testament, it's the apostles of the New Testament. He said, I want you to recall the words. They agree with each other, the prophecies of the Old Testament, the words of the apostles in the New Testament. You notice if you turn to Jude 4, uh, Jude 17 and 18, you'll notice how Jude himself has a similar word. Jude verse 17. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. Now he's dealing with the words of the apostles. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. So he is detailing exactly the same as Peter writes in 2 Peter 3. All these Peter, uh, uh, Timothy, to Timothy and Jude have very similar issues raised and instruct, we are instructed in them. And we notice when you go to, to Peter 5, uh, 
there are those who will deliberately forget, or if you've got a King James, willfully ignore, meaning the evidence is there, but they don't want it. And in verse eight, he says, do not forget this one thing. So memory is a very important thing when we come to the scriptures. In 2 Peter 1, 9, we find how memory can be affected. Turn back to 2 Peter 1, verse 9. It says, if anyone does not have them, these things that are to be added to our growth in life and in the grace of the knowledge of Jesus, if anyone does not have them, notice what it says, he is nearsighted. So he only sees uh, a short distance. He cannot see long distance, either past or present. And not only that, he says, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his past sins. Imagine having a short-term memory, you, you've forgotten. If there's a loss, you've forgotten you were, you, you were cleansed, he's been cleansed from his past sins. So sight is affected, memory is affected. So it's a, a big effect that it has upon us. Now the question rises, and I bring this up here, has the Lord a monument for memory? Now we've dealt with the Lord's table. We've looked at the, the Lord's table. That is a memory, a raising of memory amongst believers constantly, never to forget. Is there a monument for memory that God has left in our world? So I put on the screen, is there a monument for memory? What would you say, looking at that screen? <clears throat> there is strung over in the sky, what we call a rainbow, a rainbow. It's got seven colors in it, violet, indigo, blue, green, yellow, orange, red. So there is a rainbow strung across the sky. Is that a monument? Has God, does God put that in the heavens as a reminder, is that what we have? Not only just the Lord's table, but we have some memory of the Lord. He's put a monument uh, in our world that has given us a message constantly right through the history of our world from a certain period. He put this up as a monument. And I put this with it because Paul used these words in, 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 when he was giving out the gospel to an idolatrous worship a nation, uh, a people, the Leon, Le, uh, um, in his missionary travels. He said, God has not left himself without a witness. And he says to them, he's given us seasons and fruitful seasons and rain when we need it. God's not left himself without a witness. And when we turn to the heavens, uh, particularly if we have rain here and the cloud, the sun shines on the rain as it's falling to the east of us, the storms come from the west, we will see a, a rainbow. And when we see a rainbow like that, often it's a double rainbow. We, we see the, the, the one there and then we see one uh, lighter, very light behind it. So uh, there is this kind of witness that we see. Now the rainbow is a reminder. 
We're told that very clearly in Scripture. Take your Bible, turn to Genesis 9, 8 to 17. The rainbow is a reminder. Genesis 9. <clears throat> Notice verse 16, Genesis 9, verse 16. This is what God says, Genesis 9, verse 16. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, whenever, that means every time, whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds. Now, God is speaking. God is in heaven. We are on earth. He's on his throne in heaven. It says, whenever the rainbow appears, and I began to think one day, because when there's no storms here, what about other parts of the world? All over the world, every day, there are storms in places. The rainbow is a constant reminder all over the world. No nation is free of it. Every time there is a rain and, and the rain falls and we see a rainbow in the cloud, it's a continuous reminder. Now, it says in your verse 16, whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it. Now, this is God speaking. I will see it. Notice, and remember. So it is a reminder to God. A reminder to God. Remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on earth. Amazing statement. Question, whose rainbow is it? Genesis 9, 13. God says, I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. So we see it is the sign of the covenant. When you come to the scriptures, Sign has two things. A sign has meaning and it carries a message. So it's a rainbow, it's formed by rain. It, has, it carries a meaning and it has a message. <clears throat> so where, whose rainbow is it? And calls it his. God says in verse 14, whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. So the, 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 uh, he says, when I bring it across the, the, the earth and the, the rainbow is formed in the cloud, God says, I will remember. I will remember. Every time is a constant reminder that God remembers. He, might, he won't fail. So what will he never fail in? Well, go back to in, in, uh, one, in Genesis 9, verse 12. He says, and God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. And that covenant is not just made with mankind. It's made with all living creatures. Why is that? Because in the flood that destroyed the world, it did not just destroy mankind, it destroyed everything that had the breath of life in it outside of the ark that Noah built. So 
there is a covenant God made and the rainbow is the sign of that covenant. Question that rises, what is the basis of this covenant that God has made with us? Because covenant is a very important thing with God. God is a covenant making God. You'll get that through scripture. Covenant with David, covenant with Abraham. And here we have a covenant with Every generation that has followed Noah and his sons through the whole history of the world, God has made a covenant. What's the basis of this covenant? With every covenant in God makes in Scripture, there are three things that go to make a covenant. One, shed blood. You say, where is that? Well, Noah, after he came out of the ark, built, a, built an altar. And on that altar, he sacrificed uh, some of every clean animal and every clean bird he sacrificed shed blood and it was consumed by fire and god says i smelled a sweet smell i will never just do as i have done that is destroy the world with a flood with every covenant there is a token or sign a token or sign here is the rainbow so with every covenant there is shed blood there is a token or sign with it and there are promises made by God. In Genesis 9, verse 11, these are the words. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be cut off from the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. You go down to verse 15. I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. And you go back in Genesis 8 and you'll find these words. This is God's response to the sacrifice uh, Noah made and he came out of the ark. Genesis 8 verse 21, the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma of this sacrifice when the fire took what Noah had put on the altar. And, he, and God said in his heart, the Bible is an amazing thing. It describes what God said in his heart. There's no word out. God said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of man, even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. And God made a promise. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. They're consistent and have been. So we have this, uh, oops, uh, this covenant God has made using the rainbow as a message. Now, this is an important message for the Jewish people. Take your Bible, turn to Isaiah 54, 9 and 10. Isaiah 54, verse 9 and 10. Isaiah says, God says to Isaiah, To me, this is like the days of Noah. Notice he tells the days of Noah. When I swore that the waters that God has made an oath, using himself as the authority, he swore that the waters of Noah would never again cover the earth. So he makes a covenant. It has its promise. 
and he is going to keep it. He establishes his covenant. Then he says, so now I have sworn not to be angry with you, never to rebuke you again, speaking to the Israelite nation. He said, though the mountains be shaken, the hills be removed, which they will, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. So this understanding of a, a covenant-making God and a covenant-keeping God is very important with the nation of Israel. We turn now to the New Testament very important place revelation 4 verse 2 and 3 because again there is a rainbow in view revelation 4 verse 2 and 3 john has been caught up into heaven He's, jesus has finished dealing with the churches in revelation 2 and 3 and in chapter 4 verse 1 after this John says, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven, and the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet, which was Jesus' voice back in Revelation 1. That same voice, meaning the voice of Jesus, said, Come up here, that is into heaven, the door is open in heaven, and I will show you what must take place after this. So he's dealt with what has taken place, now there's what to follow this. Now verse 2. At once, immediately, it was an instant thing. At once I was in the spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, or it might be Jasper and Sardius, according to your translation. A rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Now notice specifically it is called a rainbow. And it encircles the throne. It is emerald. Emerald is green. But it is called a rainbow. Now in this case, precious stones have meaning. The meaning is taken from the breastplate of the high priest. There were 12 precious stones. And each of those stones belonged to the name of a tribe of Israel and each name carried a message. The fourth stone in that breastplate belonged to Judah. <clears throat> and that is the emerald. And Judah means praise. So here is a rainbow, he calls it a rainbow circle throne, but the outpouring that comes from our understanding of combining the breastplate of the, the high priest with this, is they are to praise because God is a covenant making God. And it's important in this way because from this point on in the book of Revelation, God is going to bring circumstances on earth that will finally bring the nation of Israel to a point where they will look on him whom they pierced and they will mourn for him. He's coming, going to come from heaven for the sake of his people, the Jews. And that's given to us in Zechariah. So God is a covenant-making God, but he's a covenant-keeping God. The rainbow is a reminder of the kind of God that we have in his dealings with the world in which we live. 
So the rainbow is very important. God remembers. He'll never forget. He makes promises. He will keep them. So I want to take you back to what you saw. Now, I never put this in. This is, comes from the media, all right? What I showed you there was a rainbow. And there was a, a message sent viral all around the world because there were media watching at this stadium where that rainbow appeared. And the, what was, was uh, penned by this uh, journalist was, is it a sign? Israel Folau greeted by massive rainbow on the first day at Catalan's Dragons. This is a, a, a football team in France. And he is going to come out to the training ground for the first day. And of course, they want to, want to look at Israel Folau and, and what is there. So what I'm going to take you now is to what was said when he came out onto that field. And the God has not left himself without a witness. Remember that? Here comes the rainbow. Here it is. So what did he say? These are the comments that were made. It seems Israel Folau may have been receiving mixed messages in his quest to offer divine salvation after he was greeted by a bounding rainbow on his first day of training with the Catalan's dragons. That is mockery, divine salvation, because of what was taken out of his messages to his own people in a small meeting and was taken by the media and certain reactions were recorded in our world uh, of one particular group, the LGBT group, etc. They reacted to his statements from scripture, his quoting of scripture, even though it was done graciously and he was dealing with himself as a sinner, having God saved him, but he quoted from 1 Corinthians 6. And that group of people took exception to what he said. <clears throat> Journalists had expected to meet with Falau for the first time since announcing his return to league with the French Super League outfit, but were rebuffed with the Dragons opting to conduct their own in-house interview after a traditional press conference. The move denied local media the chance to address the firestorm of Falau's recruitment because this has affected the world. His statements have, have gone all around the world. <clears throat> and it's with the rival Hull Kingston Rovers, that's another football uh, group, threatening potential legal action if his arrival leads to financial repercussions or reputational damage across the competition, because he is accused of hate speech and this kind of thing by them. I want you to notice what's said there, threatening legal action. You may not know or have realized that uh, these kind of football themes can no longer meet and train anymore like they did because it's uh, social distancing all over the world. But notice this, but nothing could have prepared reporters for what followed. Like a sign from above, a massive rainbow formed over Stade Gilbert Brutus, that's the stadium, as journalists gathered to watch Falau's return to the field in his training session. Is it a sign, tweeted journalist Stephen Brady, who spotted the phenomenon and the forming Twitter hy hysteria, 
This is his comment. He said, sat at stayed Brutus this morning, trying to find the lesser spotted Palau, and a rainbow popped out of nowhere. Interesting, no storm, no rain, a rainbow popped out of nowhere. What does it mean? Is it a sign? What's it all about? Now, it marvels me the Christian church did not take hold of what that. The rainbow carries a message. All right? So it's very important that we observe this taking place. What I have here is the side effects of what you are seeing. A gay pride, gay pride event, July 2019. Please know the date, July 2019. We're going to note dates and sequence from now on. And I want you to note Romans 1.26 as we go through. This is the only place in scripture that lesbianism is mentioned. In Romans 1.26, women left the natural use of the man. <clears throat> that is what is quoted in this scripture here. What you have here is gay pride. I tried to get a picture of uh, that happened at that point, which I was not able to get. So I've substituted one, which was, uh, there was the numbers I could have got, but the one I wanted was not kept. I needed it, but I didn't get it. It was the picture of a Israelite woman with the flag of uh, Israel draped over her back. She's facing away from the camera. And that is the Star of David. Right, because of God's covenant made with David, that he would have a kingdom, uh, his seed would have a, someone rise to sit on his throne and his kingdom would never end. That's the star of David. That's the blue star on the white background of the Jewish flag. Uh, that I could not get because they had put over it the, the uh, symbol, the flag for the um, LGBT or the gay community over it i couldn't get it i couldn't get it out but i put this in because what is here is uh in that gay parade there is the seven uh, the six colors of the the rainbow as you see them there uh one is left out so there are six not seven here you see what is uh, characteristic of a jewish wedding here you see two ladies being uh, as if they were going to be married i do not read the hebrew you'll have to get my wife to tell you what was there but this is the picture of a Jewish wedding taking place and there are two women being married, all right? So you get the understanding of what is taking place. Note the date, July 2019. And we have that in the light of uh, the comments made in Romans 1.26, which says the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in their righteousness. They don't want God in their knowledge. And when we don't take God into our knowledge, God removes restraint upon us. Romans 1.26 says this, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. Now I said that's the only place as far as I see it in scripture where lesbianism is noted but we are in a world today which in my youth 
I had never even thought about, I never even uh, understood what was really being prepared for me in the days in which I now find myself that this would be across the world and Tel Aviv would be the, the uh, gay capital of the world. This kind of thing I did not understand. And yet I read in scripture, in Galatians chapter 4, two women are used to picture what uh, <clears throat> it's like on the earth. The woman Hagar and the woman Sarah. Sarah represents the covenant from heaven. Jerusalem, which is above, is free. She is the mother of us all. That is our birthplace was in heaven. But the one on earth is Jerusalem, which is now in bondage with her children. She is in bondage, subject to bondage. And when you're reading Revelation, Jerusalem spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where our Lord was crucified. So we know it's the exact place. So who would ever have thought that this would be the kind of thing taking place in Jerusalem last year? But it happened, and that was it. I don't know what that is. I've got a short timeline of events, personal thoughts here. I want to take you through them. We went in, uh, to Israel in 2002 for a period of time. We went in just before the Pope was due to visit Israel. We left just after he left, period after he left. While we were waiting in Ben-Gurion Airport in the... Um, before we went through customs and immigration, we were delayed, our flight was delayed. So we sat in the uh, reception in, uh, in Israel. I'm writing on the screen, not sure what's happening. Margaret, can you help me? Oh, it's gone. So, it's all right, it's gone. The visit to Israel, <coughs> We were sitting before going through the, um, the immigration and the, the customs area and our flight was delayed. I learned a lot of things sitting there because I watched a man walking along all the time. Every 10 minutes he would walk past us and I watched what he did. He would be looking into the rubbish bins. Everywhere he went, he would look in the rubbish bin looking. He was looking for bombs that had been planted. I thought, this is the kind of pressure you're under, is it? And so as we were there, we watched the Hasidic Jews, those with the black hats and the ringlets down their sides, passing cartons through um, customs. They were going through customs and they were putting all this stuff through. Two days later, I found out they were heading for a gay conference in New York. And here I am in Ben-Gurion Airport, in Israel, and about uh, a distance over lies the, re the, the reference from Scripture of uh, Sodom and Gomorrah and the destruction. And here I am in Israel happening like that. Then I put in the gay pride in Jerusalem, which is July 2019. We go on from there. And we have, and I'm going to play it for you when I get to the end of this, fearless crossover 
who's a YouTube. It is December the 31st, 2019. Go ahead into February the 5th, 2020, and you have a rainbow over a football field in France. And the man whom that is on that field there waiting to come out is the man who stood in Australia, here where we are, and was victimized and uh, and uh, he was treated so terribly by the press, by the media, by everything, uh, and but took his stand clearly for the truths of scripture, even though he, he had just quoted scripture and used it in its right rightful place. So we have that there. And then what I did was this. I went into, uh, I wanted to know the timeline, the timeline of the coronavirus. So I put into the internet the timeline of the coronavirus. And they gave me the whole timeline of the first notified infections. So I'm going to first deal with the rainbow over the, uh, the fear, fearless crossover. The Bible says in Job 22:21, it says, Acquaint yourself with you God and be at peace, thereby good will come to you. At this time in the history of Israel, they were in captivity in Egypt and the plagues came one after the other. The system was collapsing. There was fear, there was turmoil. There was confusion. There was darkness. The Egyptian economy was failing. There was uncertainty in the land. Plague after plague. The next plague was flies everywhere. Ugly flies everywhere. But God spoke to Moses. He says, I will give you a sign from tomorrow that the sign will be a separation and a distinction. Oh, I, I don't know what the experts are saying about 2020, but I know it's going to be a tough year. But thank God for the Bible because God says, I am the Lord, I do not change. If he did it before, he can do it again. I've come to announce tonight that your time for separation begins tomorrow. But why does God not resolve the issues? We don't know why. But the truth is we can never appreciate light until there's gross darkness. So that the gross darkness, the challenges, the crisis, the problems become the perfect backdrop for God to show that I am God. So that today the world is reeling in a crisis. People don't know what to trust. People don't know who to believe. But God has a plan. What is your responsibility? Because there's God's divine ability. But there's also your own responsibility.
please hear me tonight I don't know how long the crisis would last but see the key to the survival of the people wait in the house until the crisis ends don't allow yourself to be consumed while the trouble lasts stay in the house what is the house the Bible is saying stay in a certain attitude stay within a certain framework of your mind do not panic about the situation have a certain attitude it's an attitude of faith it's an unshakable trust in God the just shall live by faith I want to say to someone do not be defined by the environment in 2020 and you shall not be afraid of destruction when it comes the enemy wants you to die in the crisis the enemy wants to give you high blood pressure give you anxiety but be defined by your response to the Word of God the Bible says when these things come to pass the crisis the war the farming the pestilence the Bible says look up lift your eyes and look up for your salvation draw it nigh the Bible says believe the Lord and you shall be established believe his prophets and you will prosper tonight God has given me a word for 2020 and the word is that you need to have a fearless 2020 say I will be all right so we finished with the uh, fearless crossover this is a series of dates following one another you'll notice when fearless crossover was done December the 31st 2019 all right so we now go to what information I could get off the internet I wanted to know when the um, when the cases were first confirmed cases there's a timeline of the coronavirus please notice uh, this is what is recorded from uh, across the world there's the date and the country or territory please remember the words that were spoken by that man from tomorrow 2nd of January is the date of the first confirmed crisis cases in China you can go right through the month of January you'll notice Australia is the 25th of January when the first confirmed case was here so you have a global what they call pandemic taking place all over the world and this is the message you heard fearless crossover 31st of December I'd say it's a timely word for the church it's a timely timely word for the body of Christ it is a very accurate uh, statements as I find when I look at Agabus in the New Testament the book of Acts Agabus spoke in in, uh, in Acts chapter 11 he, he, he spoke about a, a famine that was coming and on the basis of that they prepared 
to supply the needs of those who would suffer in Jerusalem and Judea, uh, and they would do that uh, for them. And then uh, finally, when Paul was in his last missionary trip to Jerusalem, heading from back, every city he came to testified that suffering lay before him and prison. And finally, Agabus met them when he came back. When Paul returned to Israel, he landed in Israel and Agabus came up to where he was, took his belt, bound his own feet and told them this is what they will do to the man who owns this belt when he gets to Jerusalem. And they pleaded with Paul not to go. He said, I am prepared to die, <coughs> but I'm on, I must finish my course. So there is a... a a sense when God, I think, speaks to his church. Uh, we must accept that God is not limited to the Western world for messages. Um, God has his own body of Christ throughout the world. And I think when something is said like that, it is uh, meant to be taken note of. And that is the kind of thing we find ourselves in today. It's a comforting thing, I think, as you look up, your redemption draws nigh. So we come back to Israel Folau's, um stadium and the appearance of the rainbow, which was there. And God's not left himself without a witness. I'm not going to cover what has happened in Folau's life since then uh, and what has happened to those who tried to oppose him. The whole airline industry has collapsed, who were against Folau very strongly, the leaders of the airline industry. Uh, there are other people who, and the footballs have finished uh, and their money is not coming in. There's been a drastic change has taken place in the world and God has not left himself without a witness. It doesn't mean that we'll always be uh, vindicated by God, but like the men in the fire, he said, we will not bow. Our God will deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow. So... We come to this. Lessons from Noah and the flood. What time was supposed to finish, Margaret? Sean, when am I supposed to finish? He's not listening. Keep Can going. You hear me? Keep going, all right. <laughs> I've asked some lessons. I've taken what we have here because the reference in Peter when he's dealing with this, is uh, Noah's flood. So in, in your Bible, so go to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3 to 7, and we'll look at what Peter says, because it, it is his prophecy, accurate prophecy concerning the last days. 2 Peter chapter 3, we have dealt with the first two verses, where he says, I, I, I want to remind you, I'm going to stimulate your whole to think, wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken by the prophets. And then he says these words in chapter three, three verse three. First of all, this is, this is it's important. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. That means they will want to continue in their lifestyle. They're following their own evil desires and they're going to scoff and they're going to mock. What do they mock and scoff at? Notice verse 4. 
they will say, where is this coming he promised? So going from Noah's flood, the mark of the last days will be, they'll mock and scoff. And the mocking and scoffing has to deal with the question of Christ's coming judgment on the world. That's what they'll mock and scoff at. The reason they mock and scoff is because they have a view of the history of the world. That is, Noah's flood never happened. Notice I put a comment. A denial of what has happened in the past results in mocking and scoffing concerning what will happen in the future. And that is the day in which we live at. I guess the one thing that marked Falau when I listened to him, he used the H word. That's forbidden. What's that? And I'm not talking about hate. I'm talking about hell. <clears throat> and that is something that has been absent from the church's testimony, uh, which you look up in the past, preaching of the, the godly men of our past. They dealt with the issue. There was a real hell, as there was a real heaven. Uh, so... <clears throat> We have God's final charge against mankind's stands. And this is it in, in Romans 3 verse 18. God said, there is no fear of God before their eyes. And that leads to man's behavior. And when he does not fear God, he, he does not have any respect to God's values. He has made his own values. And I've asked the question, how important is it to fear God? Well, most of us will come up with the words of wisdom from the book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. To depart from evil is understanding. But when we come to the scripture, it is very strong. Take your Bible, turn to Jeremiah 5, 21 to 25. <clears throat> Jeremiah 25, Jeremiah 5, 21 to 25. As these words. Hear this, you foolish people and senseless people, who have eyes but do not see, who have ears but do not hear. Verse 22, please note it. Should you not fear me, says the Lord. Right? God's question to them, should you not fear me? Why should we fear God? says, should you not tremble at my presence? Why tremble at God's presence? He says this, I made the sand a boundary for the sea, an everlasting barrier it cannot cross, meaning God, God's covenanted promise will never be broken. The waves may roll, but they cannot prevail. They may roar, but they cannot cross it. So God is referring to the flood. He's referring to the fact that shouldn't you fear me? That's what I did. So removing the history of a worldwide flood out of the mind of people, a flood which God brought upon the earth in judgment, when that is removed out of the thinking of people, then what of the future? So they've removed God's actions from the past. And this is one of his main actions. So what's it mean to tremble in my presence? 
<clears throat> and Isaiah 66, 1 and 2, gives us a, a clear statement of what it means. Isaiah 66, verse 1 and 2. We're looking at what's it mean to tremble in my presence. God says, this is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? So they came into being, declares the Lord. So there is creation before our eyes. This is the one I esteem. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. So there is the sense of God has spoken. Shouldn't we fear? Couldn't, shouldn't we tremble at what God has said? Question, does Noah fit this description of fearing God? In Hebrews eleven seven, it says, By faith Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet. That is, there was no evidence it was going to happen. There was no clouds coming. There was no storm forming. There was nothing like that. Noah, by faith, Noah being warned of things not seen as yet. Move with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. Notice he was moved by fear, meaning what God said he was going to do. And Noah measured the society he was in and believed that God had to act because of his holiness. And he feared. Tell me, what is our attitude when we look at the world and its conditions today? Is the fear of God the beginning of wisdom? Note the scripture, and I put this in, in our understanding. There is a sequence of events, and I'll go with this. Psalm 104, verse 1 to 9. There is a sequence of events, an amazing sequence of events in Psalm 104, from verse 1 to 9. It is the history of our world up to the flood, given in exact sequence, as it occurred in the chronology, the timing of her, of her Bible. Psalm 104 starts off, Praise the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. He wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his upper chambers on their waters. He makes the clouds his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. That is creation. Here's the angelic world. He makes winds his messengers, flames of fire his servants. If you've got its, its spirits, he makes his angels spirits, messengers of flame of fire. Then you come to that. That's creation finish. Verse 5. He set the earth on its foundations. It can never be removed. So the earth is secure as it sits. Then it says, you covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. That is, there was no dry land. But at your rebuke, the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took to flight. That is, with the heat and the moisture, there were storms. Intense. Noah could hear the rolling thunder inside his ark. 
They flowed over the mountains, they went down into the valleys, that is, they flowed off the continents, leaving behind the sedimentary deposits with creatures that once lived in them all over the continents of our world. They went down into the valleys to the place you assigned for them. You set a boundary they cannot cross. Never again will they cover the earth. So we understand that God has kept his word. What truths can be applied to verse 9? God is a covenant-making God. God is a covenant-keeping God. And what can we learn from Genesis and the last part? I want to take you to this. There is the flood and the cross. In 2 Peter 2 verse 5, we read, God did not spare that old world of Noah's day. He saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness. Notice the phrasing, he did not spare. The flood, there was nothing out, outside of the ark that had the breath of life in it that did not perish. The whole was destruction. The only living creatures inside, were inside the ark and the only humans were Noah, his wife, and his three sons and their wives. The only humans spared out of that terrible destruction was there. He did not spare it. That means there was nothing. It was total judgment took place. That same phrase that you see there is used in Romans 8.32 when it says, God did not spare his own son, meaning the full force of his judge, ju just judgment for sin fell on his own son. The measure of the extent of the cross and its completeness is understood by the measure of the completeness that took place at the flood. In Isaiah 53, verse 4 to 12, it is a, a, a section familiar to any of us who know the scriptures, that here is a prophetic utterance about the sufferings of Christ described exactly as they took place. So we have all that taking place before us. And Peter calls this so great salvation. God did this. He did not spare his own son. And in not sparing his own son, God made a way for us to come into his presence. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So we have a gospel message understanding Noah's flood, but we live in a day when it is denied. Now, I have a here at last part. I thought, will I put this in or not? Can you recognize the flag? How many colors are there? Count the colors. If you start from the bottom, you have violet, indigo, blue, green, yellow, orange, red. That is the rainbow as we know it today in the heavens. All right? <clears throat> Where did I get that from? Well, I put a question into the internet. I wanted to know, what is the flag for the, uh, the gay community? Um, what do they say about that flag? Now, the one you see there is the uh, seven colors of the rainbow as we know this is on their website this flag is on their website 
heading the article of their meaning for their flag. That's the real rainbow, all right? So I have went and got a history. The LGBT pride flag was created in 1978 by San Francisco artist Gilbert Baker. Originally, the flag included eight stripes, but colors have been removed due to the fabric availability, creating the current and most recognized form. Each, please note, each of the six colors has a meaning. Red means life, orange means healing, yellow means sunshine, green means nature, blue means harmony, and purple means spirit. So they have taken six colors, yet right at the beginning of their own article is a flag with the seven colors in it. Tell me, is there a clash of worldviews taking place? I don't know whether they realize they put at the top the real rainbow. Does the real rainbow carry a message? Yes, it does. It carries a message of the God who created mankind for fellowship with himself. And when man's sin had reached a level that God had to step in, he destroyed the world with a flood. And in mercy, provided an, a way to be free from the terrible judgment and to rise and know what life was like and continue. Notice, the contemporary six stripes flag, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, and violet, Today, this is the most common variant of the rainbow flag with the red stripe on top, as is a natural rainbow. The various colors come to reflect both the immense diversity and the unity of the LGBT community. Are we facing a time of intense persecution? We are watching things rise. We are watching things happen. I do not think we will escape the intense persecution that is developing against the Christian testimony. And by the Christian testimony, I mean the simple gospel that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again. And God commands all men everywhere to repent and to come to him as sinners, to be forgiven their sin on the grounds of the shed blood of the Lamb of God on the cross of Calvary. When Jesus dealt with the sin of every person, and when he cried, it is finished, the message of forgiveness could come to the world. We can be forgiven our sins and we can come into an eternal relationship with a living God. That remains a testimony of the flag itself. God is a covenant-making God and God is a covenant-keeping God. And we celebrated this morning in our meeting together. While we're separated by distance, we took the bread, we took the cup, and God has made a covenant, a new covenant, which is in his blood. And it's shed for many for the remission of sins. And we are told to receive the gospel, to receive Christ as Savior, and know the peace with God, which passes and finally can be experienced as passing all understanding. I'm thankful for the message of that man in Africa, so clear, that there is forgiveness. There is pardon. And that is the message we have for a world that's lost and locked in sin. We might be locked in our houses, but there's a world locked in sin. And the only answer is the gospel. Thank you, Sean. I'll finish there. <clears throat> you can close in prayer. Thank you.
Father God, we do give you uh, thanks and praise today. We thank you for your word today that was very clear. We thank you that you are sovereign, that you are our God. And we thank you for the messages that you provide throughout your word. From the Old Testament to the New, that point to you, your covenant. You are mighty God. We thank you and praise you for today. We thank you for the word for Brother Morris, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that you will just be with us and continue to encourage us day by day. May your Holy Spirit flow for us and so that we may be a light in the community as we go out and proclaim your name, whether it be on the walks that we do or whether it's through the social media, whatever it may be, that we proclaim your wonderful name. We thank you for this day. We rejoice in it. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen.